Trainer Birth by Sleep Final Remix point two point five over two. Shafiq. <laughs> Built by Lego. <laughs> Built by Lego. There you go. So welcome to Last King Podcast. Today, a bit of a bumper episode. We have yep. uh, one video game, finally. Yeah, uh, remember when this used to be a video games podcast? We still are. Are we? Starting today. Sure. And hopefully next week when Anthem finally drops. Yeah, I'll finally have my 10 hours of bullshit. <laughs> And uh, we'll be reviewing two animated movies that we teased at the in the last episode of our Battle Angel Alita. We are yet to do our spoiler episode. We're waiting for a certain Mr. Toffee to uh, return back. Yes, to the unfortunately, he's got a bit of a war wound from, I don't fucking know. He went to Japan for a while. And then came back with a tickly throat. So I don't want to uh, speculate about what happened. We call it Waifu Pillow Burn. Oh, mm, Ooh, what's he doing guy? with that pillow? I don't know. It must, it must have caught in the zipper. Anyway, boys and girls, welcome back to the Last Game Podcast. Let's go straight into it. Speaking of waifus. <laughs> so first up in our main segment of the video games uh, side, we'll be talking about Kingdom Hearts 3, the long-awaited sequel to Kingdom Hearts 2, which came out all the way back in 2005. 2005. On the PlayStation 2, it skipped an entire console generation, but there's been at least 10 games in between. See, I'll come out of it Right from the start, I have never touched a Kingdom Hearts game. And or a Final Fantasy game. Totally forgivable. It is not of your era. Yeah. And also I'm the trying same. Trying to think thing. of like any Square Enix game I've actually played, like made by them, not just published by them. Okay. But okay, maybe here's an interesting angle for us to go in at this. Uh, eccentric Tom. Yeah. How aware of you of Kingdom Hearts and its effect on the pop culture? I am aware that it is a thing that a lot of people <laughs> like. That it has Disney and Square Enix characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I recognize some of those names because I am a mid-twenties nerd who's been on the internet. So, of course, I know who Cloud is. So, I'm one of those guys who played Final uh, Kingdom Hearts 1, Kingdom Hearts 2, and that's it. Because So, you didn't play The Birth by Sleep or... No. Death Dream Dog Distance. Yeah. yeah or well, here's the, the ultimate remix. Um let me let me state right now, maybe to provide some context for the review I'm about to give. Uh like I was actually looking forward to Kingdom Hearts three for very different reasons because uh there was part of me that really enjoyed the first two games when they came on the PlayStation two. Uh-huh. So the to me, like those two are definitely essentials in the PlayStation two library. Okay. But I mean, in terms of the novelty, I mean, it was it was nice to see such a weird crossover of sorts because you had yeah. Disney characters kind of interacting with the Square Enix characters, and like for a lot of the gamers back then, it was I mean, besides the novelty, it was something that surprisingly worked. Yeah, and it was interesting also to see how like the game de- designers and developers managed to make the Disney characters kind of fit seamlessly within the. Final Fantasy lore. So you're so saying it made perfect sense for Donald Duck and Goofy to be walking around with. A it didn't make head perfect kit? sense, but at least it didn't feel. I guess I've never had any other opportunity to play Goofy or Donald Duck in <laughs> these kind of situations before. In a good game, I would say. I would say, yeah. I mean, I'm one of those guys who believes that. I mean, I would say Kingdom Hearts 1 is definitely the best of the three. Alright. And. Kingdom Hearts 2 up the challenge, but it was the start of what would be one of the major problems with the series. Which is they keep releasing... Not that. Bullshit? I mean, <laughs> keep releasing bullshit is a very nice way of putting it. I would say because then it became, how could we make this even more convoluted? 
Oh, so you mean the Final Fantasy approach to telling stories? The very JRPG approach to telling stories. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, despite the fact that everybody keeps like, calling this like the, the four, it's been 14 years in the making. I was like, but there's been a Kingdom Hearts game like every two years, including spin offs, remakes, so, prologues, I mean, prologues, prequels, uh, light novels, mangas, mobile games, what have you. And, and that's the problem. I mean, I'll go right into it. The, the problem with the Kingdom Hearts 3 is basically you will be lost if this is your first uh, dip so into the water. So this is not this newcomer is, friendly. This is not newcomer friendly at all lore-wise. But uh-huh. it is extremely newcomer friendly gameplay-wise. I see. Because, I mean, um, this is one of the major conceits with the game is that it kind of requires you to travel back in time and go through like almost 15 years worth of video games at the same time Square Enix did do their due diligence by releasing a Kingdom Hearts story so far which is a very it came out last year right it came out last year and you know for obvious reasons kind of like a tie-in with uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 for a lot of people it would be like a refresher but for most people this would probably be like a a nice compendium of games to bring you up to speed with what's going on lore-wise so like if you're already a fan, you probably own all of this. Oh, for sure, yeah. And it, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure that this will only apply to completionists or people who wanted up res versions of the classic games. So, diehard fans. Diehard fans. And I would say that's probably um, what Kingdom Hearts 3 will appeal to first, is the diehard fan. Because for a lot of people who are really looking forward to Kingdom Hearts 3, it's basically they want to see the story finally resolve. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised... I guess it's because I've never kind of been into it and because it's been so long since we've had a main release as it were. Yeah. But when it was finally coming out and suddenly people that I've been following for years were saying like, oh my god, I'm so excited. Like, really? Because I've never ever heard you talk about Kingdom Hearts ever. Because it's, I mean, what makes it so impenetrable is the fact that it is padded with so many other filler games. Yeah. And, like, those games never quite reach the same kind of uh, mainstream, I would say. They don't advertise it as blatantly as they would, like, maybe a numbered game. Yeah. And also at the same time, like, the fact that finally part 3, which is after 2, after 2.5, after 2.8, final chapter prologue. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like, when you really start, you know, it's the point where you're just being cruel. Mm. But also at the same time, uh, you have to understand, like, a lot of people, like, okay, we need to also address the fact that, like, why it took them so long. And you have to, you, they had to come up with a Final Fantasy game as well. It's the same team. Yeah, it's exactly the same team. It's exactly the same. It's, it's what do you call their A team. Their A team is in charge of the Final Fantasies and the Kingdom Hearts. And it took them almost a decade to get 15 out. Well, yeah, because Square Enix is making a new game engine for every, Final Fantasy numbered release. Yeah, and this is kind of strange because I think Kingdom Hearts uses the Unreal Engine. I mean, frankly, I would say right off the bat, uh, as a guy who enjoyed the first two games and who skipped on a lot of the other filler games, uh, I did have a certain level of expectation and I can say, like, first impressions, like, I've completed the game, um, it was thoroughly disappointing how dumbed down it is oh as in terms of gameplay as in terms of gameplay i mean the thing is i can't speak on behalf of those who really are interested in seeing the story resolve because to me like even as somebody with at least some faint knowledge of the series and i did kind of do a little bit of research about you know where the story was going and i did own one one of the ds games 
Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm kind of aware, but I'm not totally aware. I'm not that invested in it. Yeah, I mean, but you also famously don't care so much about video game stories. Because they they get in the way <laughs> mm-hmm. almost all of the time. And I think that's one of the problems with this game is because the story gets in the way all the time. Yeah. Because you also have to understand, like, it's all these Disney franchises that needed their time to shine. Yeah, and I'm sure... I'm sure Disney were very willing to give them things, but also like, so you are going to let uh, Elsa sing Let It Go in full, right? Yeah, like we haven't seen that before. Yeah, and you're not going to include a skip button, are you? Oh, there is a skip button. Oh, thank fuck. Fortunately. But all the Disney uh, involvement, right, they make up for a good probably 60 to 70% of the first half of the game. Oof. And then the actual second half of the game, which is a scan 30%, I mean, like, half is the wrong uh, term to use, but I would say the game is probably, like, two-thirds of the game is just Disney padding. Mm -hmm. And then the actual game kicks in around, like, you know, towards the final chapter. Which, in this game, is hour 20. Which is probably hour 20. Maybe a a lot earlier if you just blast right through it, because I would say, gameplay-wise, you don't have that much to do. Because, like, (sighs) I'll, I'll go straight at it. Combat-wise, it's so tedious and repetitive. It's literally... You just need to mash X till you build up your power bar, hit the triangle, you get the cute little animation, or you get the cute little um, like magic mountain ride. Oh! And then repeat at length. And then like what they do is that they break up that with all these mini-games and other like uh, things... Like other activities would include like uh, collectibles. Um, of course, it's yeah. a video game. Of course, they're fucking collectibles. Of course, it's fucking collectibles. My favorite so far: collecting three hundred crabs for Jack Sparrow. Why? Because three hundred crabs. You'd assume a man like him would have crabs aplenty plenty before. Right? <laughs> we know where that's going. Oh yeah. Uh, so I mean, I'll just say that the game does improve on certain aspects, and what it does is it cherry picks from like an entire legacy of other games. And it is, I would say, the best version of a Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah, I mean, what well, you'd expect it to be, because it's the latest one, if it's not the prettiest looking mm-hmm. or the smoothest in terms of just running, then obviously something's gone very, very wrong. Yeah, but I'm also looking at the side of, like, you're talking to somebody who, like, okay, I, I love, like, uh, something like Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm-hmm. And then, like, to me, that is, like, look at how, like, we can push the technology of this console. So, like, the first thing that really got my attention was just how sparse and how very underdeveloped some of the levels felt. Like, you know, that that level of fidelity and detail that you kind of expect for this generation consoles. It sounds like, you know, like the game that I tie with the PlayStation, Ratchet & Clank. Yeah, it feels like that. It feels like that kind of game. So, then I start to be a bit more forgiving. I would say, maybe it's a kiddie game. Maybe you don't want all these kind of, like, Mm. peripheral distractions. You want, like, the game to kind of feel like... Anybody can pick it up, which I think is also a benefit of the game because when I mentioned that it kind of scales down the, I would say, the the challenge and the the gameplay, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to target it towards that very young demographic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's got Disney stuff. Of course, it's going to appeal towards... It's got Frozen stuff. Yeah, you know, your 5 to 10-year-olds. Yeah, and then then again, 5 and 10-year-olds can't afford PlayStation 4s. Yeah, but their parents can, and their their parents parents are just as much into Disney if they're anything. Within close to my age. I would say so. I mean, yeah. I mean, if the parent was a Kingdom Hearts uh, fan, he would definitely get this game. And finally, I would say at least now in the PS4, like, uh, it's like, it's fifth year already, right? In its cycle. Oh, it's year five or six. There you go. Like, usually around this time, we yeah. flip to another console. Well, we're going to get the new one next year. 
Right, we'll probably ha see it announced this year and it'll release next year. And but hey, finally, there's something that you can play with your kids, Dad, who liked Kingdom Hearts One when it came out when you were in college. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, shit, good on them because you know, I I would say modern gaming has been around for the last. 30, 40 years? Yeah. I mean, th that's also one thing. Is like, I kind of enjoyed the fact that it's such a throwback. Yeah. Because even though it reminds me, like, too much of the PS2 games, there's a certain sense of homecoming. Yeah. And, like, how do you hate Goofy and Donald Duck as your team party? You can't. You can't. Yeah, I mean, there's something super wonderful about Goofy. Anyway, um, I mean, okay, going into gameplay, hack and slash segments very monotonous yeah the mini games they are basically padding i mean you have segments where you kind of like vary between something similar to spaceship shooters oh. very galaxian i mean you're gonna have to choose a slightly new uh, reference point you have some fps moments especially okay. when you enter the the big hero 6 <coughs> segment of the games and you do have oh uh, shit there's a big hero 6 section yeah now i'm kind of interested baymax can be part of your team oh <laughs> oh but I mean, like, as long uh, the the other new additions would be definitely Woody and uh, Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, Tangled, Tangled's in it. Frozen's in it. Tangled, much better movie than Frozen. Okay, I agree. Uh, Monsters Inc. has like you know, which is my in. favorite Pixar movie. Really? Yeah. Over Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story is the one that everyone loves. But for me, even though I was what nine when it got released, I really got like the blue collar humor. Mm. I think because Billy Crystal and John Goodman were so good together, that even though a lot of the references flew over my head, I just loved their repartee. Okay. Not enough to sell me on a game, especially not the technically third in a trilogy of 15 games. <laughs> it's been 15, maybe more, because I could have miscalculated. There's been so many spin-offs and re-releases and remasters and then like recollected versions of games that include other games. Let me put it this way, this is my hot take. If you need to have a whole YouTube channel dedicated to explaining the story, it's not a good story. I would say this, like, overall, I mean, to wrap up this review, if you're a diehard fan of Kingdom Hearts, definitely go go get it. You, you probably got it already. You yeah. don't need me to you convince got it. you. You played through it twice. Yeah. You cried at the ending. <laughs> or at least you watched a lot of the characters cry because, yeah, it's a JRPG. Crying is definitely a, a mechanic. <laughs> mechanic <laughs> press x to cry press x to cry and ask for forgiveness because of your shortcomings i don't know but also at the same time uh to me i mean if you're looking for the challenge of kingdom hearts 1 and 2 it's long gone mm. it's been like you know yeah it's it's baby's first kingdom hearts probably so what would you say is a good alternative I would say definitely get the story so far because it is the like like mm. if you want to play a kingdom hearts game and Kingdom Hearts 3 feels very impenetrable because you're new to the thing, right? Go and get the uh, Kingdom Hearts Story So Far collection because I think that would be a good way for you to not only catch up with the lore but also build your relationship with these characters because like, for a lot of like the people giving it such high praise, it's like you have to understand that this is their childhood. No, yeah, I mean, it's a kind of thing where I'm kind of on the outside looking in. What <laughs> you were saying? But it's like, I understand and I appreciate that people have their thing and I'm not going to say you're wrong for enjoying it but holy shit I have no fucking idea what the hell this is yeah and I'm sure people could spend hours telling me and I still go huh I think that's the problem with it because it's like if you need somebody to spend hours to explain to you just the premise of a game 
then you know, thing is like that Kingdom Hearts three does nothing to like you know summarize or make it accessible because yeah. it's it straight away starts right in a battle and then when the when your characters start talking about things that happen in other games so nonchalantly as like so matter of factly and they expect you as the player to like oh I understand what they're talking about oh I understand that reference it's like when Riku mentions like you know the the exam and then you're like what exam it happened in that game okay okay or Wait. like even when they explain like oh the you're not the version of that guy because you are the clone because the world was split in two so like there's gonna be a lot of these questions yeah you're not selling me this game <laughs> I'm not trying to sell anybody this game that's what I'm trying to say it's like Kingdom Hearts 3 is not for general audiences it's for hardcore fans so I would say this Kingdom Hearts 3 if you love the series go go get it you already have it yeah if you want to start don't start here no get the uh, story so far and then yeah. maybe three other games then maybe three after that I would I would seriously recommend it because the thing is for a lot of people it's the story that they are actually buying into really? you have to because like yeah. the gameplay doesn't really hold up okay so it's some pretty major Kool-Aid you need to be drinking before yeah okay so that's what I'm saying is like um, I can't wholeheartedly recommend Kingdom Hearts 3 to anybody who isn't a fan and as a game, it doesn't do anything new or fresh enough to like be like something that you can even forgive the fact that you have no idea what the story is like. It's like, oh, but at least the mechanics are fun. Like the mechanics are not that great. I mean, like compared that to another game which has finally come out in a series, Ace Combat Seven. You don't need to know what the fuck happened before because the story doesn't matter. It's like it's anime bullshit. <laughs> you go in there because you want to fly some fighter jets. It's like buying FIFA 2019. You don't need to play the other 2018 <laughs> games. <laughs> you do if you want to play the other rosters, goddammit. <laughs> this one doesn't have Messi. <laughs> no, but I mean, at the same time, um, I mean, uh, reviewing it as just a game, like the core mechanics, right? It's very lackluster. Mm -hmm. I'll just be honest about it. Okay, like the the action has been dumbed down, probably to cater to a younger audience. Uh, fans of the difficulty of something like Kingdom Hearts 1 or maybe like the more challenging levels of Kingdom Hearts 2 will be a little bit disappointed but there is a little silver lining because you get some of that back during the, the final third once we remove all the Disney attachment when it just becomes like a proper Kingdom Hearts game mm -hmm. and to me like that's what really felt super disappointing because it's like for such a supposedly climatic finale to cap off the trilogy and you just like kind of backlog everything yeah, it definitely sounds like a very uneven game. It's extremely imbalanced, yeah. And, like, you know what? Hate me all you want. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Kingdom Hearts diehards out there telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like Legend of Zelda fanboys, where, like, every game is perfect. Well, not every game. Skyward Sword's kind of bad. Oh, no, it's a terrible one. <laughs> and Majora's Mask is... I mean, like, Ocarina Time, or maybe Link to the Past, hands down. Everything else... Uh, Breath of the Wild was actually pretty good, so, yeah. But I would say this, like, I'm, I mean, I'm not a hardcore fan. I am a... You are... I'm a 50-50 guy, you know? Oh, mm. I, like, I like one, I like two. And as you like some, it both ways. I like it both ways. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> one, 1.5, 2.5, final mix. <laughs> That's just how deep you want it. Uh, how deep do I want it? Uh, 358 over two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> over two days. <laughs> over two days or two people. Anyway. <laughs> I would say this. Final uh, score? It's a 6 out of 10. Oh, Wow. I was expecting like a five out of you. I can't hate on Goofy and Donald. No, I mean... Or King Mickey. Yeah. It does enough. Okay. 
So it's like, it's not a just pass. It does enough and it's varied enough because like between the mini games and the collectibles, like the only thing that probably fails is the fact that it just doesn't provide the kind of challenge that I was looking forward to. Okay. But it still works as a game. Technically, it functions. Well, I mean, that's actually, I would say that's the least you can ask, but considering the last few games we've uh, had over the last couple of years, <laughs> that's actually quite a big fucking ask. Mm-hmm. Andromedon! Sorry, <laughs> what? Hey, you know, they might patch it. It's that kind of thing. Well, no. I mean, shit, Athens coming out soon, and that was corrupting hard drives in the demo. <laughs> <laughs> People were crashing servers and everything. Oh, man, I can't wait to go and play Anthem and hate that, too. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to come in and say, I spent six ninety five a month for this bullshit! I spent six ninety five a month just to wait to join a server. <sighs> Oof. That will happen, especially that... day one. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so final score, 6 upon 10. I know it's total blasphemy because a Kingdom Hearts game never gets less than 8.5. <laughs> I'll be the first. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people out there who agree with me that this is pretty much very like luster compared to... So you to would say it's an, everything isn't awesome. Everything isn't awesome. And speaking of crossovers... There we go. <laughs> we're going to be entering our first uh, film review. Which is The Lego Movie Part 2. The second part. Yes. Talk about convoluted names eh yeah <laughs> well, I mean that that's deliberate because you know it's always been kind of tongue-in-cheek so this is the f- the the, f- the second movie in a four-part series yeah there's been Ninjago there's been Batman I've only seen three of them I've not seen a Ninjago movie because apparently it was god awful oh yeah I mean but I I got it wasn't in Lego playing Lego anymore once Ninjago came out that was after my time okay uh like, when I was on the uh, up and up, it was Bionicle, which was the big shit. I mm. fucking loved me Bionicle. Well, you're dead era. Yeah. Bionicle was definitely the dead cat bounce for Lego because they were kind of going through a little bit of a financial crisis. Yeah. And then, like, sang out for Bionicle and the TV show that was attached to it because yeah. then it got attention back to Lego. I even had the movie, I think, on uh, DVD. Ninjago is way after Bionicle, right? Yeah, yeah. Ninjago, uh, I don't know. Safe to say five years ago, maybe. Yeah. I definitely, I walked back into a uh, toy store to have a look because I've been toying with the idea of getting another Lego set. I just don't have the space or the time to build it, but I'm going to do it at some point because I have money finally and no parent (laughs) to tell me to give away my Lego. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to spoil the movie because this is something that I think people need to see. Where the world is an apocalypse now because if you remember the end of the first movie, they got invaded by Duplo blocks. Yeah. So probably most adorable alien invasion ever. And then and they gave them baby voices too. Well, yeah, because I mean, if you know what the premise is of the first movie, like, you've seen it by now. Spoiler: it's actually a kid playing with Legos. Yeah. It's a sister playing with the Duplo blocks, so that's why she's got a baby voice. She's, I think, four okay. when that happens. And so on the same table of the movie. Because uh, if I recall, it's like they built the yeah. entire Lego world on this giant table. Yeah, it's... Will it's, Ferrell like, glued everything together. Yeah, I mean, and this movie, it begins right where the first movie ends. Okay. And you have the invasion, and all business says, Well, it looks like you got everything taken care of. I'm going to play golf. Bye. Which is basically the dad saying, I am not playing with these two fucking monsters. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and then the movie fast forwards five years and they're now living in an apocalypse and everyone's become battle-hardened and gritty and edgy and everything's cool and awesome and you can kind of guess what the movie is trying to imply here apart from Emmett who is still exactly the same adorable idiot Say it though uh, Chris Pratt and then the movie just kind of establishes that and then 
all of your favorite supporting characters from the first movie get kidnapped by Lord Mayhem or General Mayhem, voiced by the fantastic Stephanie Beatrice. Why is she familiar? She's in Brooklyn, right? She was. She's Rosa Diaz. Okay, yeah, yeah. And she's definitely channeling that kind of character. But there is a twist on that later on, which I'm not going to spoil. Like, okay. watch it. But she's definitely a good choice for the voice. Who else is returning? Like, Elizabeth Banks is back. Elizabeth Banks as um, Wild, Wild Style, I think is her name. Well, really, she's called Lucy. Okay. And then you have... Will Arnett is back as Batman? Yeah, and he's still fantastic. Oh, cool. And you have Nick Offerman as the pirate. Really? Yeah. I love me something off of it. Yeah, and uh, they get kidnapped, and so Emmy has to go save him. Okay. And he, on the way, he meets another character called Rex Dangerfist, also voiced by Chris Pratt. What? Yeah. So Chris Pratt is playing two different people. One is, we basically have the Parks and Recreation. Uh, and then we Chris have Pratt, the Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. Who has a spaceship that's piloted by raptors. So because it's a Jurassic Park very reference? fucking on the nose. Okay, I see. And there's plenty of uh, comic relief to do with the the Velociraptors. Then he goes to save his friends. There's a big twist, which kind of is kind of like what was in the first movie. So you kind of see it coming, but it's still something nice and different. Then there's an important message at the end, and they have a new earworm of a song, which is not quite as good as Everything Is Awesome, but still kind of got stuck in my head. Okay, proper earworm there. Yeah. So, what does it improve on the first movie? What do you think? In terms of improvement... Like, it still keeps the kind of very stuttery animation, right? Yeah, Making I mean... very stop-motion-y. Yeah, well, it's got... For the main Lego part, it's it's actually a little bit smoother, the action parts. Okay. I feel like maybe uh, Warner Bros. Animation have upped, uh, you know, I don't know what, the rendering software or something, because it's a little bit smoother. But it still have, you know... Was up in the first movie where they have a spaceship flying out and then it goes like on a stick. Okay. They have those moments too. Like, it's keeping apart which made the first movie work. And if more kind of fine tuned it and really drastically improved, the humor is still just as funny and on point with the right mix of slapstick, satire, parody, 4 4 breaking. Everything you need. Like, there's some pretty obvious stuff like there's a moment where Earl on it as Batman says, can we address the elephant in the room? And, and then there's a, there's, a, there's a little elephant pouring tea. Or there's a moment where uh, there's a serious moment and then uh, there's this banana peel character who keeps tripping up on himself trying to leave a room. <laughs> Which doesn't make sense. You're already a banana. <laughs> he's low-key one of my favorite characters because he's so pathetic. He's adorable. Okay. But then, you know, what is good is that this movie is actually a commentary on Chris Pratt's career. Explain. Because you have the two kinds of Pratt. We have the lovable, cutesy kind that we fell in love with in Parks Recreation. I'm sorry, I'm stuck on the fact that an English person says that there's two kinds of Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there are multiple kinds of Pratt. Most of which are in the House of Commons. Hey, yo. <laughs> Brexit joke. But I mean. 48 days. <laughs> but uh, so Emmett is the Parks Recreation kind where. Bit of a doofus, but, you know... Still lovable, still nice very man. fallible. Yeah. yeah, the kind where you kind of go, oh, The kind where they... Which is Fat Pratt. Fat Pratt. <laughs> fat Pratt. You know, the one where they paired him with Aubrey Plaza and it worked, even though she was ultimate, you know, I want to destroy everybody and he's the happy love time kind. Okay, yeah. And it worked. I can see that, yeah. And then you have the Rex Dangerfield Pratt, which is Star-Lord, uh, whatever the fuck his name is in Jurassic World. Um... 
Name any other one where he's an action star. He was in that uh, Navy SEAL movie, which I can't recall right now. Oh yeah, he was. That was the first time we had Action Pratt, which was in was the first Zero Dark action. Thirty. Yeah, there you go, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, well, Zero Dark Thirty over two final. Yeah, remakes. well done, uh, <laughs> Catherine Bigelow for uh, starting something. Well done, Chris Pratt for not leaving Anna Faris. <laughs> yeah, Anna Faris got, leaving him because he got. Are they still together? Right? No, she divorced him because he got too fit. sexy. Yeah, he got <laughs> sexy and attractive, and he's like, I don't like you anymore. I guess also become he became evangelical as fuck. Is that true? Oh yeah, he's very religious. Hey, that scares me. About yeah, and his church uh, supports conversion therapy, so yay. Mm. But I'm not going to bring that in. That's not going to influence <laughs> my take on the film. That's just, you know, whatever. So this movie is kind of talking about... It's a conversation on kind of growing up, as it were, that there's this idea where you need to mature and when you it's kind of what Toy Story did like, in the, the third one yeah. where there's a sense of you have to put your toys away and become a man mm. and it's something similar but not quite so brazen it's a bit more like when you become older you have to become tougher and more distant and you have to break things to get ahead in life rather than build things or be constructive or be supportive you need to be you know the grizzled man staring off into the middle distance while the woman holds on helplessly so I mean like when you say it's like a commentary on Chris Pratt's career, did you think that the the writing team of uh, Lord Miller, uh-huh. like that was their intention all along? I don't know if it because, was like for a turnaround for a sequel. Like the first movie came out two thousand thirteen, so this has been five years in the making. Five years in the making after Lego Batman and after the Ninjago movie. Uh, they didn't write the uh, Lego Batman or Ninjago. That was too. No, but what I'm saying is that the thing is, like the the Lego film franchise felt like it had the potential to be exploring all the sub franchise. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of guys your age are looking for the Bionicle movie. Oh, f- I want, I want. <laughs> A modern Bionicle movie because apparently you style. need to you need to hunt and quest for the mask. If I'm not mistaken, I'm aware of only that much of the Bionicle lore. But also hey, the, you know the Watch one was the best one. Come fight me. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like from, my Legos from the '80s, sir. I like Lego Space. That was the shit for me. Hey, <laughs> I I had the space shuttle. Oh really? Yeah, it was amazing. Me too. Wait, did you have the monorail? No, ah. but I did have the Rock Raiders. That was the first mm. time when they... I think it was the first big successful like mini-series. No, the Space Series entirely was definitely the breakout uh, yeah. for LEGO in the, in the 80s. Wow, God yeah, God. Rock Raiders was more mid-90s. Mm-hmm. I even had the video game of that. That was fun. Man, yeah, LEGO videos were awesome. Yeah, anyway, back to the movie. Um, I don't know how far of it was directly that, or maybe it was a happy coincidence that they wanted to tackle this. Because, like, I would say, like, the first movie was very meta when it comes to not only the pop culture references, but also at the same time, it was literally a movie within a kid's table. Yeah, and... It's a universe within a universe. There was so many messages which you could take out of, depending on how do you want to watch this movie. Do you want to watch it as a commentary on the need to let children have their wild fantasies to explore, to, you know really develop their own identities before they become rigidly enforced by outside forces like for me it also kind of felt like a commentary on like we need to make a sequel to this didn't the first movie say everything it needed to say where can we go with this but it had the most obvious sequel bait (laughs) you literally end on an alien invasion 
True that, but like, and, that's what I was saying because it's like okay, then the joke ends there. Like you know, yeah. ambiguous as that is, but it, it's fine. I mean, it was a good setup for this movie. I'm not gonna say this was a necessary sequel, and considering how little money it made, yeah, I think you want to talk about that—the fact that this is actually doing very badly at the box office right now. Yeah, I mean, opening weekend for America. I mean, combined fifty million, but I think just America is thirty-four million opening weekend. Yeah, which on is an eighty-nine million dollar, no, ninety-nine million dollar budget. Then <laughs> plus another ten million for marketing alone. Yeah. So I mean, although this, I feel like this didn't get that much marketing. You feel? Yeah, because the first one got so much marketing. Alright, that got marketing a year in advance. True that. I mean, like, right now, like, say, because the thing is, I'm speaking from the point of view of, like, a Singaporean, right? I see Alita Battle Angel marketing everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's in the train stations, it's on TV. It's on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, even the podcasts I listen to now are now fucking uh, harping on about it. Which one? Uh, Double Toasted. No, Rooster Teeth. Okay. Uh, Double Good. Toasted don't do that kind of advertising. Because mm. it's a uh, clash of... Um, what's the word? Uh, they, they're a movie review site, so they can't advertise oh, a I movie. Oh, I see. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, conflict of interest. There we go. That's the word. Okay, but... It's been a long day at work, people. <laughs> yes, and we're still doing this. No. Uh, but the thing is, like, I also want to kind of maybe explore the fact that why isn't this movie doing well at all? Because like the success of the first movie should be enough to bolster it. And the thing is, there's only been two other movies since the first one, so I can't say that there's such a thing as Lego movie burnout. Yeah, it can't be because... Because there is such a thing as Lego video game burnout. There's been yeah. so many of those, and they yeah, all remember, play exactly the same. I remember they were so fucking... I had, by myself, at least four of the damn things. And have you played them all? No. <laughs> there's about 50 of them. Yes. And I'm, not talk- and I'm talking about the ones before the recent crop where you have, you know, the co- couch co-op. I'm talking about, like, the... Rollercoaster Tycoon lights in Lego. Mm. That era. And also at the same time, it's like, okay, so the only real competition for the Lego movie would definitely be animation-wise is How to Train Your Dragon yeah. 3, which we're going to talk about later. And, I mean, the other supposed blockbuster of the season is uh, Alita Battle Angel, mm-hmm. which isn't doing well at all. Oh no, this is predicted to bomb heavy. But the thing is, it opens in the US as of this recording two days from now, and it's yet to open properly in Japan. Yeah, that'll be next week at time of recording. Yeah, but I think, I would say, it's based basically uh, on, like, like the Asian like uh, box office, yeah. which and it came out during the Chinese New Year period. Nobody's yeah. going to the cinema around that time. So it's like, is yeah, it? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone who's not Chinese is going to the cinema. But then, then uh, How to Train Your Dragon 3 is doing well in it's international doing markets. Astoundingly. It made back half its budget in the opening weekend. And it has. But so, do you think it's probably people who, like, are more the wiser? They would feel like, okay, out of all these movies that are coming out in this time period, I'm saving up for How to Train Your Dragon. I like, are they choosing it over the Lego movie specifically? Might, I don't know. It might be also pedigree because How to Train Your Dragon came out first and it's by DreamWorks, which I feel like they've really upped their game. And oh yeah, I'll talk about how much they upped their game. They're rivaling Pixar, I would say, in terms of quality. In terms of storytelling. For sure. I mean, visual, I mean, that's more personal taste, I think, because they're definitely different animation styles. I but fucking love the Storytelling-wise, yeah. my God, well... They were started by Spielberg. Of course, they're gonna know how to tell a good story. Spielberg, Katzenberg, and David Geffen. Oh yeah, uh, but but uh, and whereas Warner Brothers Animation, I don't know what else they've made. Um, but nothing comes to mind. Teen Titans go to the movies, which is fine. Yeah, 
I would say like Warner Brothers animation, like their strong suit is basically they have an entire like collection of DC animated movies, which which they steadily push out. They're critically acclaimed, but they're you know but they're very hit. They're very hit and miss. Yeah, but also at the same time, it's like okay, so they saw Lego Movie One as okay. This is this could be a cash cow. Yeah, and you think it's probably more along the lines of okay, the Ninja Girl movie was terrible and it didn't do very well. Yeah, so、I'm、they thought to themselves, okay, we need to attach either something that was familiar with from the first movie, or at least、uh, like a, like an IP like Batman. Maybe, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I wasn't in on the meeting, so I couldn't possibly speculate.、Mm-hmm. I think it's mainly because, especially here, it released at the same time as How to Train Your Dragon. So、yeah. I think when it comes to what you're gonna choose, people are gonna lean towards dragons because dragons are rad.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you also have to understand that How to Train Your Dragon Two came out like literally the year after the Frozen Juggernaut. Yeah, and it still made money. It made because intense amounts of money. Because Frozen was dominating the box office for over a year. Like、yeah. that movie never left the cinemas, and Disney was basically no, 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 keep showing it because apparently, you know, the little girls like not getting sick of like hearing Let It Go on YouTube. They also want to see the whole movie over and over again. Oh yeah, and then that like. A lot of people speculated that probably okay, this is gonna kill every animation out there. But you no, know, How to Train Your Dragon Two not only survived but you know, thrived. It thrived. It made bank. So it's like when Part Three came out, is like okay, of course it's going to do gangbusters because it is one of the most beloved franchises and definitely the least tarnished, I would say, of the DreamWorks.、Uh, Could、series? it also be like maybe it's also dependent on the spending power of the audience because it's like、Possibly. it's not the kids who are gonna go see the Lego Movie, but. There's definitely going to be that group of young adults to maybe I mean like even the teenager with a part-time job. Yeah. Like if they had to choose, like I could watch something like the Lego Movie, which is going to be haha funny, silly. But you know what? I want to know what Toothless and Hiccup are up to. Yeah, but I think it's because、uh, maybe we got used to having a Marvel movie every two minutes,、hmm. so we're just scratching for the action fix wherever we can get it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, is it, there is plenty of action in this movie. I mean. Action-wise, I think this movie has definitely improved a bit over the first one. There's definitely nice big set pieces. Like they've learned from what they've yeah, done. Yeah, but it's definitely sold on the performances and the message. And the message is, it doesn't have the same resonance as the first one. True. For me,、yeah. but it's still something where you come over going, "Wow, this really was heartfelt and wonderful."、Mm. And it has the best end credits of all time. And it also can't be the critical reception because it's been getting quite a lot of positive reviews. Yeah, I mean, like, people love this yeah, movie. Yeah, everyone is saying it's not quite as good as the first one because it can't be. It cannot possibly top the resonance that the first movie had. You sound like you're reviewing Kingdom Hearts three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you know? Sequels never live up to the hype that's made for them. What fucking surprise? Some of them.、Eh. I mean. Terminator Two was awesome. Empire Strikes Back was awesome. Godfather Two was awesome. Aliens was awesome. Dark Knight was awesome. Dark Knight was awesome, but Dark Knight Rises was not. Was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I'm finally ready to admit it、uh, yeah. after all this time. So I mean, I, I do you think there will be a, another one? I right now I'm not sure because there's definitely not really even an opening for it after this movie.、Mm. I would say. Because don't get me wrong, I fucking love this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, you heavily recommend it, right? I would heavily, heavily recommend it.、Uh, even if you were kind of okay on the on the first Lego Movie, yeah, there's still plenty of good, good humor, and I mean sharp humor. These are the people who made Twenty One Jump Street relevant again. Like they know how to just 
get you with their humor. I also also say very good with the pop culture references. Oh, for sure, and there's the kind of pop culture references where it's is relevant now, but they're not going to age badly. Yeah, like there's a moment where they're talking about, uh, oh, we have to solve this uh, alien threat. You know, we sent off the Justice League. <laughs> and there's a little joke where uh, there's leaving an angry line and says, Hey, you almost forgot me. Oh, yeah, we almost forgot you. <sighs> I'm a literary lantern. How can you miss me? Yeah, who could have? <laughs> and it's the new uh, Aquaman who gets on, the Jason Momoa kind. Mm. And it's like, all we've got left is old Aquaman. It's just like this really angry looking blonde dude in the corner. <laughs> and Marvel mm. won't return our calls. It's like, okay, I see what you're doing. This is kind of cute and funny. Well, I mean, because... I mean, it baffles me to think that a movie like this. I mean, it also is the the January February release period because yeah. the kids are in school. If you want to take the kids to just one movie, I think this is definitely bad timing. Bad bad timing. They could have released it next month. It could have been good counter programming to uh, Captain Marvel. I would say not so. Captain Marvel, uh, it would definitely be like you know. <laughs> I would. Oh, this feels more like a mid-year holiday movie that just yeah. came out way This would have been early. a summer movie. Like, like kid, if, kids are out of school, go... They just want to see some, like, yeah. you know, fun movie that is very inconsequential. Like, or, Lego movie would be perfect. Yeah, or thinking along in the West, like the Easter break. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, but then again, we look at How to Train a Dragon Tree. Yeah. And it's like, oh, people love this movie. It has a following, I would say. I would yeah. agree it does have a following. I would say like this movie might eventually make its money back because animation movies just stay in the box office forever. Yeah. Like they tend to stick around the uh, uh, number three for five weeks. Did and you then like look into work? maybe like the like the whole media market? Mm. I mean, can you off the top of your head no do you know anybody who oh I own the Lego movie on Blu-ray? Or no. I have it on streaming somewhere. No, I mean well, I'm not the kind of person who usually buys Blu-rays because I don't have a Blu-ray player. And yeah. I, I'm trying to minimize the number of the amount of crap I have while I'm still in Singapore. But yeah, it's I don't think it's the kind of movie where you would own it unless you're a big fan of Lego. Yeah. And the thing, like, a lot of people love Lego, but they love playing with Lego. And this was a great fun movie, but I'm not sure this is something where people keep talking about the Lego movie. Mm. Whereas people talk about How to Train Your Dragon. Maybe, uh, here's the question I want to ask you, because you've seen all these movies. Uh-huh. So, say for example, I just gave you enough money for one ticket. So if you had to choose between Alita Battle Angel, How to Train Your Dragon 3, and Lego Movie oh, 2. Oh, Jesus, that's a really tough one. Yeah, but and, and you've seen all these three movies. Yeah. So it's like, in your head, like when you stack these next to each other. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if this kind of handicaps our How to Train Your Dragon review later. Well, I mean... Actually, it won't. No, it won't. We still have <laughs> enough to talk about, but... Uh, Honestly, for me personally, I would say I'd go watch Alita again. Hmm. Because, but then again, this is more aimed towards my age group. Yeah. Whereas Lego Movie and Hatchet Dragon definitely skews younger. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely full or it definitely skews a bit younger. Although I think, honestly, the target audience for the Lego Movie are stoner kids. <laughs> Or just kids in general who, yeah. who just want to see pretty colors. Yeah. Which well, is, I mean, a great way to summarize this This is movie. kids and university students high and need to watch something. It's basically like a good Spongebob episode. Oh, like, for sure. Like, this is definitely... Not only is the SpongeBob. kid enjoying it, your stone babysitter is also giggling Absolutely, along. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> totally different jokes that you don't realize yet. Yeah, and I would say it is a very clever movie. And maybe that's also what's maybe not selling it. Is that... 
there's a hint of extremely clever storytelling mm. in the p- part two. There's a good bit of subversion which goes on. I mean, there's a lot of subversion in the first Lego movie. Actually. Oh yeah, for sure. And it definitely has this again, but it goes even more meta because there's two bits of subversion. Okay. There's something to do with, you know, the kid. And then there's also one to do with the character itself. And they're both moments where you're like, oh, this is pretty damn awesome. I really want to talk about it, but I don't want to spoil no it. No spoilers. Okay, so maybe final verdict for you? I would say this is a good 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10? 8 out of 10, for you sure. You rate this higher than Alita Battle Angel, which you gave a 7. Because <laughs> Alita was amazing, but it had severe problems with its storytelling and uh, some of its delivery, especially the dialogue. Hugo, for fuck's sake, poorly cast, poorly mm. executed. Story here is tight, irreverent, funny as hell. But you still pay money to see Alita. Again. Because Motorball, man! <laughs> I want to see someone get torn in half again. There you go. He wants to see somebody get torn in half again. And speaking of getting torn apart, at least just one appendage, I guess. Yeah. That was a terrible segue. Uh, okay, we're going to be talking about How to Train Your Dragon 3, the other animation juggernaut that's going to be coming That's coming out right yeah, now. Yeah, and unlike Lego Movie, both of us saw this one. And both of us saw this one. And um, maybe some pretext. Are you a fan of the series? Absolutely. I have been a fan since the first one. It's the right mix of, you know, fun kids movie and amazing flight sequences. Yeah, I can not gush enough about how spectacular like the dragon yeah, fight sequences are. I think this are. was just before I really got to appreciate big set pieces. Yeah. It's shot like it's a like a World War Two dog fight. Because yeah. it puts the camera right next to the to the pilot or the, to the dragon rider. And it gives you a sense of scale and vertigo and height that is just like you have to watch this on a gigantic screen. Absolutely, in cinema, and just see how it was huge the breathtaking, and the music was pitch perfect. Did you watch this in uh, 3D? No. Ooh, missed opportunity I for kind, you, sir. I kind of want if they do a re-release, I'll absolutely watch it in 3D. Part two definitely in 3D. Oh yeah, especially that final battle. Yeah, but yeah, the first movie because it starts off because they did a good job with the trailers of not really telling you what the story was mm. so the first half was a boy and his dragon kind of cutie and then they go on to the epic final act it's like, yeah oh this is also an action movie with a brilliant well i mean it was a one-note antagonist because it's just a big fuck off dragon in a volcano yeah <laughs> but it was an intimidating big fuck off dragon in a volcano yeah I mean, I mean are you a fan of the book series <laughs> by uh Cressida cowell if i got the name right i have never read them but do you have any ambition to? But no, because I read uh, the Inheritance Cycle, which was the other Dragon Ridey one. I would say, like to me, How to Drain Your Dragon One was a great uh, setup. I mean, when it comes to the overarching story, for sure. And you just needed to have that moment of uh, you know establishing the friendship between Toothless and Hiccup. Yeah. And also establishing the fact that you know uh, Hiccup is a member of the Vikings, the toughest dragon-killing us. A definite outsider. Yeah. And it's like, the whole, like, you know, the, the theme of that movie is about, you know, using compassion as a way to resolve things. It's It's finding your role in a society which is very specifically geared to one kind of thing. Yeah. How do you fit into that niche when everyone else is so dead set on... I mean, yeah. that's what I love about the How to Train Your Dragon series because it has very mature undertones mm. that, you know, like... I mean, the kids will come in and love the dragon designs. They'll love the colourful, like, uh, worlds and definitely all the amazing flight sequences. But it deals with extremely, often dark, mature the things. The second one was super dark. Oh, yeah. 
because uh, like they, there's always this underlying theme of loss. Like, yeah, and when they actually on screen show his dad dead and killed by his best friend, yeah, under mind control. Spoilers for a movie that came out, you know. Yeah, it was still just wow. And also, I love how they maturely dealt with the loss because yeah. it didn't become. I mean, like a lot of people kind of would criticize it for being too like uh, swept under the rug because you had to kind of resolve the movie quickly after that. Because yeah. it's like a lot of people had the problems with like how could Hiccup forgive Toothless? Because like even though he was under mind control, how could he still write the thing that killed his father? It's because he knew what it was, yeah. and because you have, so we, if you want to tie into the first movie, like it's all about compassion. It's all about understanding what it is that is makes them different, and we have to embrace that because it's like the first movie is like yeah, because he's just questioning like his dad and the entire tribe. Like why do we kill dragons again? Because they kill our sheep. And yeah, it's like, so they're pests. So they're pests. You know, we yeah, don't. It's like it says everything that like, he was brought up in a world where you are told you your entire existence is to kill dragons, and the first opportunity he has, he lets them go, because yeah. he sees they are just they're creatures. Cr- yeah, I mean, also at the same time, he was kind of established as a coward. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Very, he's he was a weakling. He yeah. like amongst his friends, like he he's was, called Hiccup for fuck's sake. Like you know, you have the toughest. You have the war chief naming your own kid Hiccup. Why? I don't know because his life isn't challenging enough. Apparently, yeah. uh, the war chief called Stoic. Stoic, played by Gerard Butler, the <laughs> best Gerard Butler role ever. <laughs> really, even after like Leonidas in Three Hundred. Oh yeah, much better than Leonidas. Wow. Okay. Because he has, I don't know, what's the word? Depth? Range? Yeah. Like, he emotes. He feels like a human rather than a fucking caricature. Mm, I guess. Rather than, Even though he literally is a caricature. Yeah. Well, he's a caricature, but a caricature who goes against type, especially that really awkward moment in the first movie where he says, I feel like we could have a father-son talk. <laughs> and we just sit there for a minute. Like, uh, yeah, good talk, good talk, good talk. Rather than being some kind of Aryan ideal. Here's something I want to ask you, and I know you love to nitpick once in a while. Mm-hmm. How do you explain explain Hiccup's accent? Jay Baruchel isn't a very good actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very nice technical answer right yeah. there. But well, why do the Vikings have like Scottish accents, and then the kids have like Southwest American accents? Okay, well, <laughs> technically... Um, <laughs> The Vikings were very active in Scotland, and there was a lot of interbreeding. So really, oh yeah. So they invented the accent. Uh, so why do Swedish and Norwegian people know they came to sound like these? That's those are the ones that were left behind. Apparently, they went as far as America. Mm, yeah, technically, Acqu- know, according to did. some Net Geo special I saw. Uh, uh, we saw the ruins. But and, enough- <laughs> you know, we watched the first episode of American Gods. Like for me, uh, How to Train Your Dragon one was a great premise and setup, and it was your typical like a uh, boy meets his other outsider friend they form a unique bond and you know yeah love and compassion triumphs overall and then part two comes out and tar- part two in term part two it felt like empire strikes back <laughs> like yeah. this got very dark all of a sudden but dark in a good way because it felt like oh we are treating our audience with respect it's not like a silly kids movie i mean the first one you can kind of see the trappings of it being very uh for a certain demographic and like you know something like Harry Potter it aged up nicely for sure I think because the first one came hot on the heels of Shrek Forever After which was sure the less said the better yeah so I, I didn't like know there was a fourth one mm, yeah there's gonna be a fifth one right oh, I fucking hope not uh-huh. no let Shrek die <laughs> no, even the first one isn't that good it was DreamWorks trying to find themselves they 
they hit their stride with How to Train Your Dragon and Kung Fu Panda. Hmm. Those are the two ones like, what, why is Dreamworks good? These two movies. Okay. No, I'm not a fan of the Kung Fu Panda myself, no? though. It's fine. Well, I don't know. I mean, the second Kung Fu Panda, I think, is actually better in terms of uh, I mean, visual I, I find it flair. fun and hilarious. Yeah. But also, at the same time, like I've seen the, the dawdling like, apprentice of Kung Fu rise to the ranks in so many other media. There we go. I mean, that, 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 that didn't feel fresh enough to me. I haven't seen many Kung Fu movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, like, to me, that story felt too familiar and they furred it. Hey, don't kink shame. <laughs> there you go. Someone really, really likes their Tagara Rule 34. <sighs> yes, I've Mind you, it. there's also plenty of Toothless Rule 34, I'm sure. You know why they call them Toothless? Yep. <laughs> I'll stop right there. We do <laughs> not need to continue. This is a family <laughs> show, goddammit. <laughs> no, it isn't. No. We are not rated PG. We're explicit on iTunes, okay? I make it, I make sure people remember. We do drop F-bombs. Okay. Yeah, and then some. And then some. <laughs> and then we explain it. So, so, shall we talk about the third movie, finally? <laughs> or uh, Okay, you go first. Initial impressions? Uh, Yeah, this was, I think, a good capstone to the trilogy. I agree with you there, yeah. It was, it was a nice ending off. Yeah, I mean, we had the antagonist, we had the story, but really it was one long love letter saying, I kind of like it to, to when you have to finally let go of a family pet. Where... In real life, it's because, you know, they died. <laughs> but in his one, it's because you... They, they get horny and they need to just procreate. <laughs> well, it's just like, they are wild animals. And there's something that they're so precious and special and so misunderstood. Which I enjoy because, yeah. like, uh, it carries over from the second movie that uh, one of the themes of conservationism and, like, being environmental and being, like, you know, just nice to animals. Because, like, the whole yeah. arc about his mom, who, who makes a return in the third one. Yeah. You know, and, like, it's basically, we, we should be, you know, friends with the animals. Like, or the dragons in this case. Yeah. But like This one is a definitely different kind of conservation message, which is let them be. Yeah. Leave them alone. Which is the lesson in Jurassic Park. Leave yeah. the lizards alone. Stop putting them in cages or stop trying to integrate them into our like recreational life. Yeah. Never goes well. And it was definitely, you know, the thing of because we always got the message that Toothless and Hiccup were absolutely inseparable. Mm. And you could tell that it was kind of Bit of a block between him and his relationship with Astrid. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing I just want to briefly mention. I really like their relationship in the third movie. I like it too. It was very well done. A kind of, this is definitely a couple who've been together for a long time and they've weathered some serious storms. So they can, they talk like a believable couple where they've been through some shit and they know what buttons to push and what to leave alone and how to treat each other with respect. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, at the same time, I also love the moment where, like, it was uh, Hiccup's mom who says, like, you know, you, you be the wife, tell him that he's fine. Yeah. Go and give him the kind of support. And she does, and he's like, oh, okay. That's when I, I realized that whoever wrote that relationship, like, they knew, they were probably thinking of it as, like, this is what a couple in love act like. They act like two people who just need each other. Yeah, I mean, this is probably based on, like, some dark moments when they're... Like, maybe an animator is, like, he's working hard at a thing. He's like, yeah. I suck. I've been working on this for hours. I can't do it. And you just need the, the loving <laughs> tap on the shoulder saying, you got this. You're not a fuck-up. I didn't marry a fuck-up. You can yeah. do this. Pat on the back. And it's a perfect juxtaposition to seeing Toothless fall in love. Oh, yeah. Or, you know... As With the best mating, uh, mm. well, not like a uh, mating dance. <laughs> I'm so glad you finished that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I would be extremely impressed if Dreamworks just had a good hardcore dragon fucking scene. Probably did. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And Who knows? Can... They're doing a lot of stuff behind the clouds. And they can get invisible too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which hole was that again? <laughs> anyway, boys and girls, how to train your dragon 3. That... So, um, did you... You didn't feel tacked on that, that we added, oh, hey, look, a female Night Fury. I mean, I, I could... It's a little bit like, okay, this was a natural thing, and of course, she's white. What would be the best? Well, of course, she's white. Is it coming oh. from you? <laughs> but I because love- white is obviously best. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Because once you go black, you never go toothless. <laughs> anyway, I was about to say this. Uh, no, but it's like, it felt like, what other impetus would there be for toothless to finally leave Hiccup? Yeah, because, you know, because, you know, Rose nature. Bar- Bros before hoes until that really fine hoe. <laughs> that really fine dragon hoe. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I love. I mean, I don't. I don't say I love the the relationship between Toothless and uh, what's the girl dragon called? Light Fury, right? Uh, they never give they, her a name. They, they dubbed just, her Light Fury. They just say the Light Fury. What? What? What's that? A Bright Fury, Light Fury. I like yours better. Oh, you're a couple. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, at first, when I saw the trailers for this, I thought to myself that, okay, we just needed to have more things to, like, you know, pad things. Yeah, it definitely... It didn't feel... It was sold like that. Yeah. Which is why I'm surprised that the movie did so well, considering that that was not the strongest trailer I've seen. I went in because I wanted to talk about it, because I really wanted to see it. And I kept on going, oh, yeah, this was a great movie. Yeah, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised that because for me, the trailer felt like obviously ran out of ideas. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what's the easiest way for you to, you know, keep the story going? Oh, one gets a girlfriend or we have a new bad guy or maybe because like I would say this, like um, my initial impression of how the train your dragon three, it's good, but I still feel it, it doesn't quite match up to how powerful and how just gigantic the second one felt. Yeah. In terms of final battle, like, none of the three can top part two. Especially with, like, you know, when oh, you see the, sure. the, the, the dragon that is as big as a mountain. Yeah. And well, they don't quite match. Okay, I'm it sorry. It feels like spoilers. It kind of feels like an afterthought almost, the final battle, because it yeah. is just with, We needed an action sequence. It's just with Toothless and Hiccup fighting, uh, probably the best realized, uh, human antagonist in the series. I would say the most fully formed. Definitely better than the antagonist in part two, which I'm, I mean, totally is totally forgettable. Exactly. For me. But like, I thought that um, uh, Jon Snow's character was uh, the antagonist. Now he, he's just one of the people. He wasn't an antagonist. I mean, he did work for them, but it turns out that I kind of like dragons too. And oh what yeah, you, he was like the turnco. Yeah, he's yeah. the one who turns. So it's like, eh, you know, never trust the Stark. Anyway, no. <laughs> well, he's a snow. Oh, he's a snow. The worst of the Starks. Yeah, he knows nothing. No, he's not a Greyjoy. At least he's yeah. He's At least fine. He's, yeah. <laughs> what are we going on oh Game of Thrones when you come back we need more dragon action soon hardcore soon. dragon fucking <laughs> ice dragon fucking <laughs> if there's no dragon fucking in ep- season 8 <laughs> the series is dead to we're me we're cancelling our HBO subscriptions <laughs> as if I actually paid for HBO okay but you know do check out our uh patreon where we have all <laughs> like the down and dirty uh, you know details oh my gosh no we don't have that yet Sorry, uh, didn't mean to tangent. Anyway, what I want to say is, um, did you feel that there was a certain sense of scaling back to allow more room for character development? I would say so. I've, it definitely feels like we had the action because it's what expected of us. Yeah. But the story one we want to tell is about maturing, growing up, and learning to yeah. just because you're saying goodbye to someone doesn't mean you're ending on bad terms. Like sometimes. 
your lives are separating and it's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing for both of you and it hurts and it sucks, but it's what's needed for the betterment of everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was a story which, you know, everyone's gone through at that moment. You know, there are eventually friends from school or university where you will never see him again. Okay. And I mean, that's what that's the heartstring that touched you. Yeah. So basically, it's like it reminded you of saying goodbye to a long to a friend of. That it reminds me of, for example, in my final university, I said goodbye to someone who had been my friend for three years. I'd lived with him for half of the time, mm. and like he was just a reliable guy. He was always there to hang out. I'd seen him naked and everything. Not quite. I <laughs> I have seen him blackout drunk several times. Some of it was my fault. Wait, wait. Here's the true best friend uh, test. Have you ever drawn a penis on him with marker? I'm not that kind of white man. Ah, you're so boring. But I did visit him in hospital for... uh, Yeah. For what? Uh, For broken penis. No, let's just say we went heavily drinking. The next day, he had to go into hospital. Oh, alcohol poisoning? No, it was actually appendicitis. But it just happened to coincide... And when I went to visit, we first went to the real world. It's like, oh god, we killed his kidneys. You know what? Good thing alcohol is a sterilizer. Yeah. <laughs> it goes right through the appendix. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, I, it just reminded me of when I said goodbye to him. And it was something where, you know, I was moving to a different country. He was doing his own thing. Like, yeah. it would be very damn difficult. So it was for the best that like, he had a split. I mean, that's also one thing that I want to kind of bring up is the fact that the How to Train Your Dragon series, it is an exemplary um, uh, series which really knows how to deal with loss and through loss maturing. Yeah, it's definitely... Because it does kind of like, like the first one he lost his leg, second yeah. one he loses his dad, and third one he loses his partner in crime and best friend. And uh, the, the the did you feel that maybe, like compared to the second one, mm-hmm. I would say that, okay, they did deal uh, with the themes of loss. Yeah. But it didn't quite have the kind of resonance as probably part two. But then again, you cannot top the death of a family member. For sure. And and like to me, it felt like you needed to go a little bit more with the character development in order to really... You know that punch in the feels you need for when Toothless finally goes away? Yeah, I think they did a good job. Uh, I would say that they definitely went far enough, especially mm. with uh, Hiccup, because since he is now chief... And him struggling with the role. Yeah. And when he finally... For the first time, he makes a hard decision. Yeah. Because for most of the movie, he's like, okay, fine, whatever you guys want to do. Like, for now, this is okay, but we're going to do my thing. But for now, I'll count out to your wishes. Yeah. So when he finally stands up and says, this is my final decision. We all leave Burke. Yeah. yeah. So it was good to see him mature in that way. And finally become the man that his father wanted him to be, but not as how he thought his he wanted his father. I mean, he kept maybe at least the essence, but not quite. Yeah, the, it's like because yeah. he thought that his father wanted him to be like strong and uh, a big capable warrior. Like, no, his father wanted him to be his own man. Yeah, someone who could command respect, regardless of how he got there. Well, I would give nothing but respect to the one guy who could mount and ride a Night Fury. Oh, for sure, yeah. Because he's like apparently Night Furies control all the dragons. So. Well, I mean. Technically, he did it because he killed the other alpha. Who is the other? Oh, in, in the other movie. It yeah. was the big horned one, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And he, they, he makes a comeback in uh, part three. Like, he's just one of the background characters. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I would say uh, the new dragon designs are pretty damn good, especially the antagonist dragons. Hmm. 
I, I like that they were... I like how they're very much closer to the book ones because the thing yeah. is the one dragon that sticks out is definitely Toothless because it, that's literally a giant cat yeah, I mean, with wings. They've admitted they modeled his animations on a cat. Whereas like the other dragons look like they come straight from the pages of the uh, illustrated book. Yeah. So, I mean, I like the fact that they went even more like, you know, with that direction, mm-hmm. which I would say kind of pays tribute to the author or the illustrator of the of the book series. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it didn't bother me, but it felt like you know what I wanted to see. Like for me, what was lacking in part three was like I wanted to see not just diverse dragon designs, but I want to see more dragons in action. We got yeah. it in a few action sequences, especially it, the one which had like beetle armor. Yeah. That was pretty cool. But like you know, like compared to part two, where yeah, it's like you sure. saw all of them, like you know, have their moment, right? And then like to me, it felt like it's, it was either like Astrid's dragon, which basically does a lot of heavy lifting because it, yeah, just transforms. Which is why people. because he's the well, technically she was the least interesting dragon design for me. Really, the yeah. the big underbite dragon. <laughs> Uh, I like the twins dragon personally because it's, the ones, it's right? so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, the stupidest is that the weird pill bug one that uh, the fat boy rides. Oh, what's in fish legs or something? Yeah, fish legs. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, it just looks like a big, uh, kind of like the old animation of um, the hunter's dog in Curse of the Were Rabbit. Oh, I know what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a like dumb dog look. <laughs> That's what makes him adorable, yeah. sir. What do you feel? Apart from maybe like a characterization or like a dragon action was really missing. Apart from that, I mean, this movie could definitely n- it will not have suffered if it was maybe like another twenty minutes longer. Because yeah. I could have used a little bit more action sequences, and it- I could have used a lot less of the side characters. Yeah, I mean, because like the original gang has now been reduced to like one note jokes, which is weird because normally you get more out of the side shows. Yeah, I mean, like the only sub plot that involves them is the fact that okay they need to kind of work together better as a team which they finally do because yeah you need to have yeah and the female twin gets captured so the antagonist knows where they are (laughs) i mean which which felt kind of lazy it felt kind of lazy but also it was kind of nice to just see her uninterrupted just be the most annoying fuck for a good five minutes again i i wouldn't have minded if you just like maybe montage that scene a little bit better yeah you didn't really need to have her talk that much. I mean, even a simple passage of time, just watching the sun and the moon rotate very quickly as she's just talking would already super exemplify, oh, she just doesn't shut up. Well, Kristen Dunst is expensive, I guess, so they wanted to squeeze every moment out of her. Oh, well, yeah, yeah you need to get your money's worth too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, like to me, it felt like we didn't need them anymore. Yeah. Because you had they that one... They could have explained away saying, oh, they're off on some mission somewhere. Yeah, that, would, that would have been so easy. Or you could just say, like, maybe, you know, they are tied down to certain duties because I I guess maybe the most nitpicky of people will say like oh what happened to all these other characters but I'm pretty sure that if you're a fan like you don't really care for them you just want to see more Toothless and more Hiccup and more like yeah and to a lesser extent Astrid because you know well, she's- Astrid definitely is a, I would say a very key component to like you know the I would say the the weird romantic triangle there. The have. menage a trois that we have. Because it's basically like a boy and his best friend and his girlfriend and how he has to choose between the two. I mean, that was definitely the theme of part two. Yeah, for because, sure. And then the thing is, they kind of hinted at it like, okay, you have to kind of think about marriage. They threw that right at them in the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then like, uh, Hiccup's first reaction is like, no, I've got so much to do as a chief. And then like, you know, who's going to take care of Toothless? Yeah, it's so, like, it's definitely kind of underestimating Toothless a little bit. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, 
what we soon discover is that they wanted to establish the fact that Toof- uh, Toothless is like a crutch to maybe the Hiccup character. Yeah, and like he's, he's relying so heavily on him. And to like get once you remove done. him, like his self confidence just falls apart, which you know I guess makes sense because that was his ascension to power was his ability to like definitely you know tame Toothless. Yeah, I mean that's also another reading you can put in is that often we tie ourselves too much to our friends for support or we tie ourselves too much to what we expect of us yeah yeah which is i think probably like you know that is what i love so much about the hiccup art because that resolves perfectly towards the end yeah because not only did he perfectly accept the fact that he is in some ways nothing without toothless but he can be so much more you know once he's allowed yeah, to because just he was not a rely on him brilliant inventor before toothless came around exactly yeah, he yeah. caught a night fury which is incredible in this world and i think australia had the best line is like you know you're the same guy yeah before toothless like have a plan and then like even though my plan is stupid yeah that's what we love about you yeah, exactly. and his no plan was stupid. basically like, okay we're gonna wingsuit over there which is why I think this is a good tangent to why I like the antagonist so much. Mm-hmm. It's because this is the mirror world. Um, the Hiccup. dark universe or whatever. Yeah, this is what would have happened if Hiccup did kill, did kill Toothless. Toothless and went down that trip because he's just as inventive, just as smart, just as well known about dragons. But he wanted to kill them. Mm. And he was the right level of menacing. And also the right level of pompous and the right because it was definitely the how you say how do you do the negative version of uh, hiccup? Yeah, it was like he has to be tall. He has to be very um, confident, you know, antagonistic, pompous, funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but funny in a different kind of way, in a kind of like asshole way rather than like you know the self-deprecating "ah you got me" kind of way, which. Uh, it was also like a trope that you see in a lot of, like say for example Marvel movies where what would be the best bad guy? The same guy, but you know, the inverse version. Yeah, I mean at least I waited until the third part to do that rather than doing it in the first movie as with every Marvel movie. I would say that too. And I think it's also a great way for him to look within the darkness of himself, especially yeah. when you have it manifest in the character, what's his name again? Grimoire or something. Jella yeah. Grimoire. I can't remember exactly what it's called, which is really bad of me, but Eh, Especially the moment. Let's just call him bad guy. Yeah, just like bad hiccup. Bad hiccup. Yeah, when they're having their, you know, Joker Batman moments in the fortress where they're like, you're where I like what you and I. You you snuck up on me. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, oh, wait, I have my dragons ready. Well, I have my dragons ready too. I mean, yeah. it's good. I mean, it does kind of like, you know what? You can't go more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is the version of you if you decided to kill Toothless. So, I would say this. I mean, um, I mean, anything else you want to bring up about how Train the Dragon? Uh, it had the right ending. It was a very definite, not to spoil anything. It mm. was the movie saying, no more. We're doing no more of these we're done. But they did kind of meet up again later. <laughs> they kind of do, but I think it was more for... Because it's it very was... hard to say that it concludes perfectly when the final words of the movie is basically, one day humans will be ready. Yeah, I mean, to... I, I feel like this is kind of an out for the studio to say, oh, we're doing part four, and it's Hiccup's kids. Especially with the money is making right now, there's definitely going to yeah, be a which part is, four. Which or like, spin-offs. I, I would really not like it if they it, but... Mm-hmm. Whatever, it's their property. They can do with it what they wish. But as a capstone, as I said at the beginning of this review, yeah. it's 
damn near perfect. I would agree. And whilst, yes, there was a little bit of uh, weakening in the last moment, it was still really, really cute, that sequence. Okay. Uh, having them yeah, do the thing at the end was, oh, this is, this is really, really sweet. I would say, I mean, it's not as good as part two, but it does tie a nice bow you know, on the entire franchise. And I mean, like, you can go off with a bang, which I think... Like, if you really want, like, the high-flying flutin action of part two... Uh, watch part two again. You can watch part two again, but if you want something a little bit more personal, probably a little bit more, I would say, like, you know, a nice, true bookend to a series. Yeah. I feel like this is a movie made by a confident studio. This is not one where, you know, you can tell that they're not quite sure what worked, they're trying to do something yeah. bigger and better. It's just... We know what our story is. We know how we're going to end this and we're going to trust everyone's going to enjoy themselves. Even if we don't have as big a set piece, we don't have as interesting a conflict in the blast of the movie. Yeah. There's still, you know, we're going to rely heavily on the characters and, you know, the stories between them. And I would say that's very brave. I do have one nitpick though. Yeah. Hiccup has a badass fire sword and he doesn't use it. You can't kill people in a cartoon. I know, but it's a fucking fire sword. <laughs> I, especially the beginning of the movie where he's walking through the fog and he's just like doing it like... Just the, like Darth Vader lighting up a lightsaber. Yeah, right? it was so ominous and Are crazy. you a demon? No, I'm just a guy. <laughs> yeah, it's just, okay, great comic moment, but still would be cool to see him wreck some fools. True, I agree. And also, you know, when... Uh, Toothless starts doing his fire burst thing again. It's like, oh yeah, he has an, a crazy powerful way of breathing fire. Mm. And also he has electricity powers. Now he can go invisible. He's the perfect, he's the apex predator. Oh, he for is sure. the alpha apex predator. There's a reason why, yeah, he's not the biggest dragon around, but there's a reason why they are the most scared, The terrified. most feared, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, they're fast and silent and deadly. I mean, maybe before we wrap up, I just want to bring up one thing. And the one thing that really stood out for me was the level of detail and the level... Oh, yeah, the, the peach fuzz on Hiccup's face. The quality and, and animation is another stratosphere. I mean, the scene where they enter the hidden world and oh, you just... Oh, God. There are moments where I catch myself looking at it and thinking to myself, this looks so photorealistic. Yeah. And and then you realize that the characters are just so like I mean, they're designed in a very cartoonish way. And then like I check myself sometimes. You know, let's just wrap this up. Uh this is for me eight point five. I would give it no, I won't give it eight point five. I'll give it eight. I'll give yeah. it eight upon ten. It doesn't quite hit the same strides as the second movie, but that's not a detriment in any way. Um as a character like as a as a character driven story, I loved it a lot. For sure. And like as a as a fan on the, of the technical side of it, like whoever did the surfacing, the team behind, just making their skin look so real, it, yeah, I mean, well, it was they, mesmerizing for me. Yeah, they had a whole section of the uh, end credits just crediting all the surfacing people. Yeah, and for you, and for you all boys and girls out there who have no idea what surfacing is, oh man, it's that final stage, that finishing touch when you do your lighting, and you. You add pores <laughs> to Ooh. these characters. You have to imagine, like, the way... Like, you can see freckles. Yeah. It's like, there's something uncanny, but also at the same time, just, you know, aesthetically pleasing about it. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do like about this movie as well, is that uh, the end trailer does a good job of telling everyone what they did, because they have those cute animations saying, so what do these people do? 
Um, oh, edit though. And then it's like some Viking chopping up like film yeah. strip. Yeah, I remember So, so it's like someone polishing a dragon statue. Uh, layout is a guy like moving a picture around. Like, oh, <laughs> this is cute. I like that. Are you stuck with the end credits? Uh, most of them. I, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for Because me, I respect the people who make movies. Sure. <laughs> then you just admit to like pirating Game of Thrones. <laughs> anyway, so yes. I respect people who make movies. So 8 upon, 8 upon 10 for me, 8.5 upon 10 for you. How to Train Your Dragon 3. Heavily recommend the Lego Movie Part 2. I recommend it as well, for sure. And like, um, Because it has a lower review score doesn't mean it's a worse movie. Yeah. It's... Every score is relative. Kingdom Hearts 3, if you're a fan, go for it. You if you're not, it. you already have like, it. Like, why are you listening to us? Like, if you're a fan, you have it already. You've yeah. played it twice. If you're not a fan, then you know what? There's an entire uh, s- section of games for you to dive right in, or you have a collected edition if you just want to rush through it. So, uh, this has been uh, Shafiq. This has been Sentry Tom, and we're signing out.